It's the little things in life, as I say. It might be a bit trite and certainly cliche, but there it is. A phrase, a slogan, a mantra, if you will, meant to comfort you. It's the little things that stitch everything together into an awkward but satisfying balance. Ideally, anyway. However, I did not expect the phrase to take a turn. It never occurred to me that little things could be discomforting. But there I was, in the sort of place I'd spent most of my life. All the usual things, the familiar sounds of all sorts of critters scurrying about, bushes and trees, it's a, I tell you what, something wasn't right. Tell me why I couldn't light a bonfire to save my life. The hooded lantern works is fine, sure, but no bonfire makes for cold nights and uncomfortable darkness. Not to mention no way to fry up the any catch of the day. Roast a rodent trapped in the night, but that's another thing. I couldn't trap a slug moving through honey in that place. I wouldn't have even spot the broadside of a herd of bulls, if they moved in herds. Now, you know me, I'm no stranger. All my techniques is tried and true, but no sir. For all the survival skills of the most dangerous wilds any ranger may have, this place flipped it on its head. Now don't get me wrong, I ain't telling you I survived the harsh times in this place. No sir, we packed plenty of rations. Clean water from cool streams was always around when we needed it. In fact, I'd say I've never felt in less danger in my life. It's just like the forest knew I'd use what I could. Mind you, I've never taken more than I needed. The forests, well, there's my home, first and foremost. But whether it was, maybe by my leaky's grace, it would not allow anything beyond the bare minimum. Needless to say, I was starting to feel a bit embarrassed. My clients, well, they were a little annoyed even. But it's not like I was the only one who couldn't light the fire. Not one of us could get the driest leaf or twig to burn. It wasn't until the fourth day that it dawned on me. A childhood tale that I'd since grown out of that pointed to the why. I'll tell you those myths, those legends. Well, they're true. And once I realized the destination of my clients, I was afraid of the worst. Once I saw it with my own eyes, well, so much for feeling safe. I wanted no part of it. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. It was like I'd seen it tens of thousands of times before. But I still can't muster the words to describe it. I felt at peace in its presence, but I had the good sense to know that that peace was reinforced with the power of the gods themselves. So I ran. I ran as fast as I could, I ran. I heard voices and sounds of violence behind me, and I ran faster. I ran as far from it as I could. But by the time I was out of earshot, I kept running. But it didn't stop me from being chased down, and it was at me heels before I knew it. And just before me heart could stop and me blood run cold, I was impossibly on the edge of the forest. In an instant, I was a step or two away from open plain. I never looked back. I ran until I couldn't, and then I crawled until collapse. Sorting through this vague story, trying to make sense of any of it, you wonder about the honesty of this man. You can choose from any of the following checks. Arcana, history, nature, or religion. Or, if you want, roll an insight check. Hey there, creatures, and welcome to Encounter This, a podcast exploration of the creatures from Dungeons and & Dragons and the lore that surrounds them. Hey. 
Hello there, celestial beings. I am Encounter This co-host, James Popcorn Kid. Today, Freeman Rainbow Dash Iceton will be taking us through the lore and mechanics of the Unicorn, found in Wizards of the Coast Monster Manual on pages 293 and 294. Take us away, Rainbow. Thanks, Popcorn. Now, Unicorns. Yeah, where do those names come from, right off the bat? Because I don't... Uh, <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. I didn't think I was going to say this, but <laughs> I thought about it, but I'm glad you asked. It comes from, uh, you know, the same the phrase, it's not all rainbows and unicorns? Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I always say it wrong. I think I did said it wrong on purpose or by mistake one time and someone thought it was funny. So I always say it's not all popcorn and unicorns. <laughs> so okay. that's, that's okay. basically where it came from. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. And I like to imagine that those are good, good names for a unicorn. Yeah, that's that's fair. I think I I think I misspoke and said Rainbow Dash, but that's one. You of, did. That, that <laughs> is a totally real fine. that is a real unicorn in a show that exists. I think. Is it? I yeah. I think it's a My Little Pony. Oh sure. I watched a death battle on it, and it was Rainbow Dash <laughs> versus Starscream. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Um, so unicorns. Yeah, take 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 it away. <laughs> uh, it's probably important to note that this episode might be our longest yet. I'm 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 not I'm not promising or 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 anything, but uh, I have a I have a, I have the fear that it's going to be long. Hey, good thing it's your edit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so unicorns, um, mystical creatures, we're all relatively familiar with at least aesthetically. Um, definitely, uh, this is going to be an interesting dive for sure. Um, so starting off with what we have in the monster manual, page two ninety three. Uh, unicorns dwell in enchanted forests. Unrelated to the horses it resembles, a unicorn is a celestial creature that wanders sylvan realms, its white form glimmering like starlight. A unicorn's brow sports a single spiraling horn of ivory whose magical touch can heal the sick and the injured. Its ears catch the words and whispers of the creatures that share its domain, and it knows the tongues of elves and sylvan folk. Unicorns allow good-hearted creatures to enter their woods to hunt or gather food, but they hold evil ever at bay. Foul-hearted creatures seldom leave a unicorn's domain alive. That's directly from the book. Please don't sue us. <laughs> open license. Open license. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess so. Right? I don't know if it's that open. <laughs> it's, it's pretty open. We, it's easily cut. Yeah. <laughs> um, so unicorns are considered divine guardians. Uh, unicorns, they were placed in the material plane by good-aligned gods and deities. Uh, this could be to ward away evil or preserve or protect sacred places, usually bound to a realm such as an enchanted forest. Uh, occasionally, however, they are tasked in guarding sacred artifacts or specific creatures. If a god wants to protect a creature that is being targeted by evil, they send them to a unicorn's domain where evil might think twice about trade. Goddamn one-horned watchdog. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. They, they, they're, they, they're definitely pawns uh, to a degree, right? And they're, they uh, are sent out to complete a task. I'm already excited to see if they're intelligent or not. <laughs> uh, they are likely to and often serve forest or woodland deities, uh, including gods of, ben of benevolent fae. Known to what, have what does that mean? What what are gods of benevolent? That, that's like I'm pretty sure that's almost like a a, a, a small snippet straight from the book. Okay, I, I think it just means good aligned fey gods or deities. Okay. I think that's what it's trying to get. Gotcha. Across. Uh, known to have their own innate healing powers, they sometimes served gods in greater capacities, performing miracles usually reserved for high priests. Now, I wasn't sure what they meant by miracles or high priests exactly. Um, I did look up a, a priest in the book. Is is, is going to see our there's a 
Uh, there is a stat block. Um, they have a thing called Divine Eminence and Spellcasting. Um, perhaps these things can be applied in some way, but honestly, I was kind of at a loss. It, just, it was very vague and didn't seem to specify what a miracle would be or what these high priests would be doing for these gods. It's probably just some beefy NPC cleric. Mm. <laughs> now, quickly we'll talk about um, Luru, the Unicorn Queen. Now, this comes from the Forgotten Realms wiki. So Luru, the Unicorn Queen, was also known as the Queen of Talking Beasts. She was a chaotic good archfey, 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 who has who was often worshipped as a goddess by intelligent and talking beasts. A little little trick. Mm-hmm. It's only arc if there's no H. There you go. I like it. What about Archimedes? Archimedes. Damn it. <laughs> Many unicorns, pegasi, and other intelligent non-human creatures, non-humanoid creatures, along with romantic and swashbuckling adventurers, were among the worshippers of Luru. Uh, It's important to note that before 5e, unicorns were considered either fey or magical beasts, but not celestial. That's unique to 5e. Interesting. The 5th edition, yeah. It doesn't make sense. These connections to Luru come from a third edition book called Faiths and Pantheons by Eric L. Boyd and Eric Mona. Um, Luru was considered to be the daughter of Salune, goddess of the moon, the sister of Yathagera, the winged queen, and the daughter of Ektiarn, which is the craziest spelling. I don't know if you have it on, on yours. I don't think you do. Yeah, it's uh, each thigh hern. <laughs> uh, he was lord of unicorns and pegasi and me- a member of the inner circle of the Seely Court. His name translates to Lord of Horses, and he only appears in second edition. What a batshit insane spelling. Yeah, seriously. I think, honestly, I think it's, um, it's related to uh, Gaelic. It's, it, yeah. You'll understand why later. He appeared as a powerful winged unicorn or, or a horned pegasus. Uh, Luru was also a servant and sometimes steed of Mailiki, the forest queen, goddess of autumn, druids, dryads, forests, forest creatures, and rangers. This comes from a column called Forgotten Deities, written by Eric Elboyd for Polyhedron Newsine. I think Eric Elboyd also wrote de- uh, Deities and Demigods. Yeah, I think you're right. So yeah. I was looking into some of these older books this, mm. today, actually. Mm. Um, so she was, she considered Malar her foe and enemy, and the feeling was mutual. Malar was a lesser deity known as the Beast Lord, governed over savage hunts, evil lycanthropes, bestial savagery, bloodlust, and promoted the spread of the curse of lycanthropy. This again comes from the book uh, Faiths and Pantheons by Eric Alboyd and Eric Martin. Yeah, I think Malar is loosely based on the Earl King, for those of you who are very familiar with the, the fey lore. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> He's the god of the yeah. hunt. So there is like this, you know, there's a, uh, this is the first time I really did some extra digging on, on like other gods and sort of pantheonic mm-hmm. um, kind of information. Cause there was, a, there just seemed to be a lot connected to Luru, the unicorn queen, daughter of Salune, the goddess of the moon. Like we know that one. Um, yeah. You know, Salune is still a deity today in Forgotten yeah, Realms. Right. Uh, her sister was a winged queen. Um, she was supposed to be the daughter of a, a literal unicorn god, like a literal unicorn, where she could take on the appearance of unicorn. If you look at the picture of her in the, in the Forgotten Realms wiki, actually, it's just, you can see like a unicorn in the background, but it's her. She's all silvery, like um, sort of white colored and stuff, but she's, you know, a female humanoid looking with a unicorn horn coming in every forehead. Oh, crazy. Yeah. Um, now, getting back to unicorns themselves, the realms they often... You actually wrote getting back to unicorns I literally themselves. wrote that. <laughs> what a transition. The, uh, the realms they are often bound to become celestial realms. 
Dead. No, yeah, nothing happens in the realm without the unicorn's knowledge. From every note sung by elves to the crawling of a caterpillar or a butterfly stopping to rest its wings. They know all of it. Uh, a sense of calm pervades the whole area. Wolves, foxes, birds, and even tiny insects in a unicorn's domain seem quite tame. Mercurial and fickle fey creatures like pixies, sprites, dryads, or satyrs will even faithfully serve the unicorn while they dwell in its woods. Under the protection of a unicorn, these creatures will feel safe from encroaching civilization or any spreading of evil. Unicorns also roam their domain constantly, but are careful not to disturb the other denizens if it is unnecessary. One might catch a glimpse of a unicorn only for it to vanish and see nothing there. According to Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition, they would scratch glyphs into the trees in the areas under their protection. Like but, the goddamn vampires in Blade? Yeah, right. <laughs> but it, it kind of doesn't add up with the 5e lore because uh, apparently an entire forest is their domain. So they'll yeah. have to mark their territory. Also, fun fact, in AD&D 2nd Edition, the Monster Manual was called Monstrous Manual. Didn't know if you knew that. Uh, I don't know if I did. I don't have anything past 3.5, so... Mm. It's it's on the list. Yeah, I've, I think I've got a PDF of it now. I think I okay. tracked one down. So yeah, I need I need need that good good hard copy. Yeah. I'm starting to yeah I know you do, <laughs> but I'm start I mean, now that I'm uh, using the Forgotten Realms Realms Wiki is pretty pretty fun and there a lot of it's you know the sources are there so I've been kind of stockpiling the PDFs that I can find along the way from all the older editions. The sources are there on every wiki. You have to source. Shh. Stop it! Shut up. <laughs> that's that's the point. You don't know how to. You don't, know how, you don't know how to wiki. Have, having <laughs> Shut <sources. up. laughs> All right, whatever. Moving on. Cut that. <laughs> now, layers and regional effects. Uh, of course, they have a domain, so they're going to have this. Yeah, I guess the whole forest, eh? Yeah. So I'm bringing this up now before we talk about mechanics. Uh, the unicorn's lair might be an ancient ruin overgrown with vines, a misty clearing surrounded by mighty oaks or a flower-covered hilltop al alive with butterflies. Um, any other serene woodland setting works as well. So we're kind of talking about, like, they do have a lair. That, that, that would have, the whole forest would be their domain, but they do have a, a, probably a place where they spend the majority of the time or, like, they call home a specific spot in the forest, usually um, described under these circumstances. Um, the difference between the unicorns and what we talked about, the hags we talked about previously with, with, layer, um, with layers, they have no layer actions. They just have regional effects, uh, which are things like open flames of non-magical nature are extinguished. Torches and campfires refuse to burn, but a closed lantern will be unaffected. Safety first. <laughs> and yes, I, that's written in there. <laughs> Uh, it's important. For those of you who don't know, this is a great time to bring it up. You can actually see our show notes if you subscribe to any tier on Patreon. Yeah. It's, uh, and then you'll understand terrible. how, you'll understand how hard it is to pronounce some of these yeah. words. Oh my God. <laughs> it's I'm, not just us. Yeah. They're fuck. Yeah. <laughs> they're fuck. <laughs> um, so creatures native to the domain, um, will actually have an advantage on their stealth checks to hide while in the, in the forest. When a good aligned creature casts a spell or uses a magical effect to heal another good aligned creature, the healing will grant the maximum number of hit points possible for the spell or effect, no matter what. That adds uh, up. Yeah, and curses affecting good aligned creatures will be suppressed. And if the unicorn dies, all of this ends immediately. It all just disappears. I'm just going to take you off on a tangent real quick. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've been catching up on the Wheel of Time series. Yeah, yeah. By catching up, I mean rereading it. Mm -hmm. Is that something you ever dabbled in? Yeah, I'm on book nine right now. Yeah, these sound a lot like the Ogier Groves. 
I was thinking the same thing, actually, when I was reading this. Very much so. Yeah. The Ogier is so cool. I'm only on book two, so. Yeah, well, the Steadings, they call them. Yeah, yeah the Steadings, yeah. So cool. Um, so, unicorns. What have they got? A horn. That's about it. We all know they've got a horn. And the titanium white skin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Unicorn's horn is the focus of its power. It's a shard of divine magic wrought of spiraling ivory. It possesses healing properties, and anyone touched by a unicorn's horn will also be cured of poisons or, or diseases. Wands constructed of a unicorn horn can wield powerful magic, and weapons crafted from one will strike with divine force. Jeez. A unicorn horn that is ground into powder can be used as a reagent by the right or wrong wizard to create potent potions or scrolls or conduct powerful eldritch rituals. I was curious about the exact definition of Eldritch because I think I've always taken it for granted. And it means weird and sinister or ghostly. And it actually comes from the 16th century Scots, um, perhaps derived from old Germanic English elf, which is turn, in turn derived from the word elp, which means nightmare, perhaps loosely connected to the nightmare creature. Weird. I went down a little hole there just out of yeah. curiosity, and it came full circle to like a fantastical horse. And I thought that was weird. Crazy. But I loved it. Now, that being said, anyone involved in the slaying of a unicorn, no matter how small their role, might find themselves the target of divine retribution. That's what I would be afraid of. Mm -hmm. Let's go murder this unicorn for its sweet, sweet horn. It's bad. It's a bad idea. And yeah. I would imagine the acquisition of any tool or weapon made from a, a unicorn's horn would either be a scam or connected to truly evil act of slaying one of these one of these creatures. Yeah, like not only are you destroying this this celestial being, you're you're taking away this this sacred spot in the world. Like mm -hmm. it's 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 a it's a big effect. Now, in some circumstances, unicorns are considered blessed mounts. If darkness and evil threaten to overwhelm the world, Gods pair a unicorn and a divine champion. A paladin riding a unicorn, for example, is a sign of direct intervention by a god or gods. Quote, it is a holy alliance made to cleave heads from demons and banish devils back to the nine hells. That's a great line. As long as the troubles that made the pairing necessary persist, they will remain partners. But if the champion were to fall from grace or turn from the path of righteousness, the unicorn will depart and never return. Jesus. Yeah. I I don't know if that's 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 even usable, you know? Like mm -hmm. how do you how do you write an NPC that's a champion on a unicorn who just just doesn't solve all of the problems? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> do you do you just give that to a fifteenth level paladin? Like here's here's your steed. I just imagine he's like no, he's a he's a level one paladin and he's basically Don Quixote. <laughs> just like useless. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so. He's doing his best, but he's it's he's just not powerful. Every time he enough. just gets stabbed, he just goes and rubs Lucky's horn. <laughs> Woof. And then from there, you know, we're going to go into the real world lore. Uh, not, not too, too much on the, on the 5e stuff, but the basic description is as such. It's described as a beast with a large spiraling horn protruding from its forehead. The unicorn was depicted on ancient seals from the Indus Valley civilization and mentioned in accounts of natural history by the ancient Greeks. Among the most, Interesting. Yeah, among the most prominent writers were Titius, Strabo, and Pliny the Younger, Claudius... Alienus? Alienus? Claudius Alienus, a.k.a. A alien, is what, that's what I have here. That's weird. And Cosmus Indicoplustes. 
Pleustes. Yeah, that one's not going to happen. Yeah. The, uh, the Bible also describes an animal called the rem, a rame, uh, which loosely translates to unicorn. I believe there was like nine, nine parts in the Bible that actually mention it. So you, you believe in Jesus, you believe in unicorns. I guess so. <laughs> European folklore often describes it as a white horse-like or goat-like beast with a long horn and cloven hooves and sometimes a goat's beard. Yeah, that's what I want. I want a goddamn goat unicorn. <laughs> more of that. <laughs> Hollywood, you're slacking. Way more of that. Uh, in the Middle Ages and the Renaissance period, they were usually described as a wild woodland creature, a symbol of purity and grace, and could only be captured by a virgin. They put a lot on that. Man, <laughs> what's with the virgin thing? Uh, there's so much of that. During these times, encyclopedias described the power of unicorn horn. It was able to make poisons, was able to make poisoned waters drinkable and heal sickness. Also, during these times, the tusk of a narwhal would sometimes be sold as a unicorn horn. Yeah, that's that's what I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. I went to this uh, mythical beast exhibit somewhere at some time in my life, <laughs> and uh, they they had a big narwhal horn, and they're 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 a lot bigger than I thought they would be. Right, yeah. They're they're like um, like meter meter and a half long. Like it's it, they're huge. <laughs> um, for all of those of you out there who speak American English, it's like four and a half feet. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Huge. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're yeah. massive. Yeah. Um, but it was labeled as narwhal horn, and that's that's apparently where this exhibit said the unicorn myth came from. Was like narwhal horns washing up on the right, yeah, the shores. Well, we're gonna get into that for sure. Um, so the Indus Valley civilization. Are you familiar with that? No, I was not either, and I was quite surprised to find out about it. Uh, they were a prominent civilization during the Bronze Age. They existed alongside ancient Egypt and Mesopotamia. They spread across much of the northwest regions of South Asia, and they were the largest of the three, but they had no army. They were known for urban planning and elaborate drainage systems, water supply systems, etc. I highly recommend listening to John Green's Crash Course World History on YouTube. A friend of mine recommended to me there are about 10 to 12 minute videos. I've watched four or five of them now, and they are awesome. It's really cheeky. He's a, just a super history nerd and really lame humor, but it really fills you in with really cool stuff. Okay, we'll, we'll make sure we link that in the show notes. Mm. And I think it's like episode two or three or four that, that he discusses the, uh, the Indus Valley Civilization. Oh, wow. Now, they made seals, some of which seemingly depicted unicorns. These seals were believed to be indicative of a high social ranking. Uh, they also have been interpreted as representing aurochs, a type of extinct large wild cattle. Or they may have been a derivative of aurochs, as the depiction is profile, which showed only a single horn, indicating that a second horn was not seen. Now... That's how two dimensions work. Yeah. I thought this was pretty cool, was aurochs are in 5e. Yes. They're, we were talking about this the other day. Yeah, they are like a really large bison-like cattle yeah. beast in it. Yeah, they look cool. They look awesome. Yeah, the art, the art for them, and I can't remember what book they're in. It might be in Volos, but they look wicked. Yeah. Now, unicorns are distinctly absent from Greek mythology. Rather, they are mentioned throughout accounts of natural history. Is that sorry? What? They are not part of Greek mythology. They are only in, in the Greek history. They are only mentioned as an actual natural hist- historical animal. Okay, so the Greeks were under the impression that these things actually existed. Actually existed. Now, writers were convinced of the unicorn's existence and believed they lived in India. Okay, uh, India would have been a distant and fabulous place for them at the time. Yeah, the I mean, earliest descriptions were by Titius 
in his book Indica, meaning on India, he described them as wild asses, fleet of foot, having a horn of a cubit and a half in length, which is 700 millimeters or 28 inches, and colored white, red, or black. Wild asses. Wild asses. Is that is that what we would know as an ass today, like a donkey? I think so, but I'm not sure. Some sort of four-legged horse donkey-like creature for sure. I don't know the <laughs> genus. <laughs> Latin Nailed it. <laughs> um, so Aristotle mentioned them alongside the description of the oryx, which is a type of antelope, calling them the Indian ass. Strabo mentioned there were one-horned beasts with heads like a stag in Caucasia, and Pliny the Elder mentions the oryx as well and the Indian ox, which was perhaps a rhinoceros. We, yeah. Do we need to do a, a dive on the word ass, apparently? <laughs> Like I am just, um, I, this is all over the place. You, yeah, just don't hit images when you're when you're googling that. Yeah? Correct. Yep. Or or do I guess I, I don't know. I'm not gonna not gonna tell you how to live your life. You guys do your own independent research, all right? <laughs> um, in addition to these, uh, he described Pliny the Elder. That is a fierce animal called the monoceros, which has the head of a stag, the feet of an elephant, and the tail of a boar, while the rest of its body is like that of the horse. It makes a deep, lowing noise and has a single black horn, which projects from the middle of its forehead two cubits in length, which is 900 millimeters or 35 inches. The Wikipedia page has, no, has more and more examples of the same basic description from the authors, but he is clearly a, talking about a rhinoceros in that description. Yeah, that one's... That, like, I, I, rhinoceros doesn't have the body of a horse. I think this dude's no, fucking insane. <laughs> but if you've listened to anything about Pliny the Elder, um, you, you know that he's... He's fucking insane. He's... What a treasure. What a treasure he is. What a treasure. <laughs> um, so what we, brings us, this brings us to Middle Ages and Renaissance period. It gets a bit crazy here, and it's harder to read on the wiki. Oh, you don't um, say. When, yeah. when history went backwards by about 100 years. <laughs> There's a lot of talk of the unicorn uh, being used in, in a, as an elaborate allegory from the book of Physiologus. Physiologus? About the, about the Christian incarnation. The book. What the it, fuck does that mean? <laughs> it's let, let me. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the book is of Greek origin and has an unknown author. Uh, this is where the interpretation of only a virgin can trap a unicorn comes from, because the allegory has a virgin that is meant to represent the Virgin Mary. I don't think I understand what the word allegory means. Uh, it's like uh, how the Matrix is an allegory for the, you know the the birth of or the the miracle of a savior like Jesus. It's like a, it's an allegory for this, the Jesus story, essentially. It's, Is that what that's about? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Okay. <laughs> Big time. Uh, you, you, you'd, be, you'd be surprised how many stories you've watched that you felt like were pretty similar and the hero comes through and they had something magnificent about them and they, they can all be traced back to um, being an allegory or, or a very strong comparison to to the Jesus uh, is, reincarnation okay, story. Okay, so is, is allegory specifically to refer to like a Christian simile i guess no it's not specifically christian i think it's just a it's a way to just a re retell the story okay. but in yeah in your own way without it being like directly related or like any direct reference okay or like that. gotcha I, I'm pr I, don't quote me on the definition though <laughs> um 
Now, this also justifies the unicorn being depicted in pretty much every form of Christian art. Get the fuck out of town. The rise of humanism during the Renaissance, eventually the unicorn starts to take on a more secular symbolism and became emblematic of chaste love and faithful marriage. One last description I will read from comes from Marco Polo after the unicorn is well-established in medieval lore as, a tam- as tameable only by a virgin. It reads, Scarcely smaller than elephants, they have the hair of a buffalo and feet like an elephant's. They have a single large black horn in the middle of the forehead. They have a head like a wild boar's. They spend their time, by preference, by wallowing in mud and slime. They are very ugly brutes to look at. They are not at all such as we describe them when we relate that they themselves be captured by virgins, but clean contrary to our notions. That is a, that is a fucking rhinoceros. It's a rhinoceros, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> it's so it's so. History, you fucked up. I don't know. At this point, they were definitely traveling all over the place pretty regularly. How did, I don't know how they kept this confused. Yeah, wasn't Marco Polo like a spice trader? Something like that. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I really know about him for a fact is that... There's a wonderful game you can play in a, in a public exactly pool. exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so, unicorn horn or narwhal tusk? Fun fact, the an- the horn itself and the substance it's made of is called alicorn. L-A-L-I-C-O-R-N. An alicorn. Alicorn? Alicorn. It was believed to hold magical and medicinal properties. A Danish physician, however, determined in 1683 they, that the alleged unicorn horns were actually narwhal tusks. It's not even a scientist. He's a, he's a doctor. A doctor discovered this. <laughs> and Sir Thomas Brown wrote about this in his book, Pseudodoxia Epidemica, or Inquiries into Very Many Received Tenets and Commonly Presumed Truths, or commonly known simply Pseudodoxia Epidemica, or translated to Vulgar Errors. Oh, I like that. It was a book about refuting common errors and superstitions of his age. That's going to be on the reading list oh, for yeah. sure, listeners. I want to read that big that time. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Apparently, I, I remember calling it, it was pretty cheeky. And uh, at the time, he was really just calling out some yeah, bullshit. I mean, it, yeah. Even the title is him just calling out bullshit. Calling out bullshit. I love the way it's... I'm going to read it again. Inquiries into very many received tenets and commonly, commonly presumed truths. That's great. So now still, narwhal tusks were sold as fake alicorns in Europe until at as late as 1741. So they discovered they were narwhals in 1683. Yeah. Yeah. Under the pretense that they were, they could cure common diseases and detect poisons. Detect poisons. Okay, um, like a divining rod. Yeah. Uh, cups would be made for kings from supposed alicorn and given as gifts and were usually made from ivory or walrus ivory. Yeah, I mean, ivory is still, still a choice substance. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun fact, the throne chair of Denmark was supposedly made of unicorn horns. It exists to this day and resides in Castle, Ro- Castle of Rosenberg in Copenhagen. Uh, awesome. It is, in fact, made of narwhal tusks and is guarded by three life-sized lions made of silver. Wow. Look it up. You can find it on Google really easily, and it's pretty cool, actually. That sounds insane. Yeah. Let's, let's go to Copenhagen. <laughs> now, in the interest of moving on... Uh, Real-world lore continues on and on, but never explores the mythical and fantastical idea we usually associate with it. Uh, One last point I will make is that there are a lot of examples of the unicorn in heraldry, particularly in Scotland, where unicorn is the national animal. Yeah, I'm I'm well aware of that. (laughs) Uh, It has been on their heraldry since the 12th century. And when I just... uh, Started researching this, and I was telling a couple of y'all. I was pretty excited. It's unicorns. Like this is a this is a pretty big one. And um, Carissa, who's a, a colleague of, of James and I, uh, and her 
partner, um, or both of Scottish descent. He, he's come straight from Scotland, and uh, they were both chimed in on me right away. Like, you know, it's the national animal of Scotland, right? I was like, I did not, but that's definitely going in. <laughs> um, Super good. Now, here's what's really cool about this: the the heraldry in, in Scotland. Uh, they believed it to be the natural enemy of the lion, the unicorn, mm-hmm. which of mm-hmm. course was adopted as the symbol. Of English royalty, the lion. Were there European lions? Is that a thing I remember that existed? I, th- I feel like I heard that somewhere before. There, were, there was... Right in some... and tell us if there are European yeah. lions. I feel like the Romans hunted them to extinction. Mm. But... Uh, I mean, there's a chance they were just imported up uh, from Africa and whatnot. I feel like there are European yeah. lions. Right us in. Right us in. Right us in. European lines. P.O. Uh, put box. That, put that in the, in the text. Or info the, the at encounterthis.ca. <laughs> um, now, uh, they view the unicorn as a proud and haughty beast that would rather die than be captured. So very, very strong element there of resisting the English, right? Yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely imposing their own values in this thing. <laughs> yeah. The Scots also used coins minted with the unicorn uh, during the 15th and 16th centuries. The lion and the unicorn are symbols of the United Kingdom even now and are heraldic supporters that appear on the full royal coat of arms. The lion standing for England and the unicorn for Scotland, the combination dates back to James the first ascension to the throne, who was already James the sixth of Scotland. Consequently, they were both used on the coat of arms for the Kingdom of Hanover, which only existed between 1814 and 1866 and conquered before being conquered by the Austro-Prussian War and mm. are part of, wouldn't you know it, the Arms of Canada, and have been since 1921. So there's a unicorn on our coat of arms. There sure is. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and on the Canadian arms, the lion and the unicorn are named Dexter and Sinister, respectfully. That's actually not true. I totally fucked this up when I was researching it. I thought, why the hell do they name them Dexter and Sinister? It turns out Dexter and Sinister refer to specific locations of the escutcheon on a coat of arms. Dexter is Latin for right and Sinister is Latin for left. <laughs> yeah, that, that adds up. <laughs> These are indicative of proper right, and, um, proper right and proper left as far as the point of view of the shield bearer of, okay. of, of the said coat of arms. But, oh man, I felt like such an idiot. I wrote that in thinking, fuck, that's weird, but I can't wait to mention it. <laughs> and then I, you know... <laughs> My gut instinct told me, look into it a little bit further. <laughs> yeah. They're not called Dexter and Sinister. Like, oh, I kind of wish they were, though. <laughs> it's close enough. Um, now, also, the enmity of these two creatures are recorded in a nursery rhyme, which also logged in the Rude Folk Index. So the Rude Folk Index, I've come across this a couple times in my research, and just like on my own time and, and, and for this podcast. And basically, it's a collection of oral tradition songs from all over the world. It's created by Steve Rude. Uh, it's R-O-U-D. And he's an expert on folklore and tradition. And he's indexed over 250,000 references in over 25,000 collected songs. Wow. Uh, and it's all oral tradition. It's pretty cool. The nursery rhyme goes like this. The lion and the unicorn were fighting for the crown. The lion beat the unicorn all around the town. Some gave them white bread and some gave them brown. Some gave them plum cake and drummed them out of town. That's a dumb rhyme. <laughs> no, it's the a, it's you a, are it's dumb. A, it's about England kicking their ass, essentially, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Acts of Union, 1707, in which the parliaments of England and Scotland passed Union Acts to create a united kingdom under the name Great Britain, was thought to intensify the telling of the rhyme, or telling of the legend, was thought to intensify the telling of the legend of the rivalry between the lion and the unicorn. Several new verses were added to the nursery rhyme, but only one has survived, written by English poet William King. And it goes, And when he had beat him out, 
He beat him in again. He beat him three times over. His power to maintain. That doesn't fit the rhyming scream. <laughs> well, you know, oral tradition. It's all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. You know? And so that, you know, a lot more in the real world there, right? It's all over the place. It's yeah. got such a, and there, there, I left so much out. There's like famous tapestries about like the catching of unicorn by a, a virgin, like these really, really elaborate ones in the Renaissance period. Uh, there's just so much stuff there. Um, you know, comparing the lores, I don't see much similarity there. Uh, you know, there's that magical healing nature of its horn, yeah, which is the obvious one. Um, otherwise, there's a theme of rarity, I guess, perhaps misunderstanding due to it being recorded without ever having been witnessed. Yeah, other than like the late, the late, um, the later stuff, there seems to be this um, this uh, idea of purity to it as well. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, true enough. Yeah, being a representative of chaste love is in faithful marriage instead. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go with purity because I sure. <laughs> um, now, it doesn't seem to have the, an exotic tone, you know, across the board, but that's that's about all the similarity I... I, I think really the confess. exotic tone is just it being a rhinoceros. <laughs> what a beautiful creature. Gorgeous. Uh, Marco Polo was not a fan. <laughs> I think Marco Polo was blind. I think we've established that by the pool game. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot he was... He was a blind, so how the he was fuck a blind he sailor. Um, <laughs> Write in and educate us on Marco Polo. Or better yet, reach out to Josh and Chuck at yeah. Stuff You Should Know and have them do an episode on Marco Polo. I'll actually listen to that. <laughs> Marco Polo and the European Lions. <laughs> yeah, I do want to know about the European Lions. <laughs> so this brings us to mechanics. What CR do you think this creature is? If you were to guess. Based on the fact that it can heal any wound and, and suppress magic, I'd, I'd want to put it around 8 or 9, I think. For the longest time, I thought it was a CR9. I was quite confident it was a CR9. It's a CR5. Well, that adds up with it being tameable to ride, I guess. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, really high strength stat. Uh, really? Yeah, 18. 14 for dex, 15 for con, 11 for intelligence. So, considering it's basically a celestial beast, quite, quite intelligent. High wisdom, 17. 16 charisma. AC of only 12. And HP of only 67. So pretty, pretty easy to hit. Yeah. Uh, I'm a surprised it's con and its decks aren't higher. I, I'm a bit too, but I guess we'll, we'll maybe we'll understand it further, I'm sure, once we get into it. Yeah. Uh, the other details. I mean, it's a horse. <laughs> uh, it does a speed of 50 feet, so there's that. Okay. Um, it is a large celestial. Uh, it was Fey in 4E and Magical Beast in 3E. Uh, alignment is lawful good, unaligned in 4e, and it was chaotic good hmm. in 3rd, 2nd, and 1st editions. And that adds up with uh, the goddess of unicorns being chaotic good. Mm -hmm. Now, languages it knows are celestial, sylvan, and elvish, and it speaks telepathically. Uh, it's In the 1st edition, it spoke unicorn, and the Forgotten Realms wiki claims it speaks common, but doesn't give a reference, and I couldn't find any uh, evidence of it. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's true. I don't think it is either. Uh, maybe, maybe three, three point five, but uh, hmm. I, I haven't, I haven't looked to be honest. Hmm. Uh, it does have dark vision, um, no resistances. It's immune to poison, and it is immune to charmed, paralyzed, and poisoned condition. Yeah. No vulnerabilities. Uh, its traits are charge, something you'd expect. It moves at least twenty feet with a horn attack, and and it will deal an additional two d eight piercing damage, and a DC strength of fifteen saving throw. Or be knocked prone. And this can be applied with its multi-attack, which it has. Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. 
So it's got innate spellcasting as well, charisma being its modifier. And at will, it can do use detect evil and good, druidcraft, pass without trace, and once a day, it can cast it can cast common motions to spell evil and good and entangle. I like that entangles on that list. Hmm. Yeah, I, it, that always you know I always think of entangle as a druid druidic spell, and it makes sense. You know, it's, for, it's definitely going to have a forest domain. It's going to have okay. some connection to the you know I always I always pictured as something druidic and something like almost fey and nature related. I always pictured it as a ranger spell. Yeah, yeah, Ranger 2. I can see that. I've, sure. I've, I've never played a druid, but I played a ranger who had Entangle, and I used the shit out of it. Yeah, good. Awesome. Um, it's got Magic Resistance, which gives it advantage on saving throws against spells and effects. Uh, and its unicorn attacks, or its, its horn attacks, sorry, are considered magic weapons. So, for the purposes of bypassing. I'd be surprised if it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So, it's got multi-attack, two attacks, one with horn, one with hooves. So, it can, like, charge in knock you over and then stomp on you kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. Um, 1d8 plus 4 for the horn, 2d6 plus 4 for the hooves, nothing too crazy. Pretty lackluster. Yeah. Uh, healing touch, it can use three times a day. So it touches another creature with its horn and heals 2d8 plus 2 and neutralizes poisons and, and diseases. Neutralizes? Neutralizes poisons, cures diseases. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, if it's in its domain, wouldn't that just be max? Uh, yeah, that's a good point. And if it's if it's never found outside of its domain, what's the point of even? I guess maybe there there is a chance it would leave its domain. I mean, maybe you have your your example of the paladin riding the unicorn. Right, right, right. Um, and lastly, they can teleport once per day, magically teleport themselves themselves, and up to three willing creatures, along with all their equipment, to a location the unicorn is familiar with within one mile. Yeah, I, I'm I'm going to be down with anything that can teleport. I, I love that spell. So here's where the unicorn mechanically gets very interesting. Well, so far it's pretty straightforward, lackluster, arguably, but this is the first time we're going to talk about legendary actions on this podcast. Interesting. So looking at legendary actions, uh, one thing I'll point out right away is that this is the lowest CR of a creature with legendary actions. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, Also, if Nick Lowe, if you're a listener, can we get a drop for legendary actions? (laughs) That would be amazing. <laughs> um, we have to get him listening now. And anybody, any of you out there who are in a music production, I would, I would love a drop for legendary actions. Legendary actions. Just we'll put it on the podcast, but we'll of course use it in our everyday games mm-hmm. as well. Um, now, a creature, as, as far as I know, I could be wrong about this, but as far as I know, as I know, legendary actions work the same way for every creature that has them. A creature is always limited to three actions per round of combat. Certain actions take up more than one action. So you basically have three action points, if yeah, you will. Yeah, yeah, I've always thought of it as like a point system. Yeah. So, yeah, I, had it right, I literally right here. Think of it as three resource points to spend in a round. They can only be spent at the end of another creature's turn. Note, this does not have to be your enemy. It just has mm. to be at the end of any other creature's turn that's in combat. Okay. One of these resource points, they can do another weapon attack with their hooves. They can spend two of these resource points to cast Shimmering Shield which creates a magical shield around itself or another creature within 60 feet and grants a plus two AC until the end of the unicorn's next turn. Or they can spend three resource points and do a heal self, magically regaining 2d8 plus two hit points. Uh, it's basically the same as healing touch. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just picturing a unicorn trying to buck itself far enough back that it can touch its own ass with its horn. 
Heal. Heal self. No, in the Legendary. The, the, the description specifically does not mention it has to touch itself. <laughs> That's what I'm picturing. Oh, my God. Um, now, we're going to quickly talk about other versions of unicorns. Uh, in some of the... Actually, before I do, thoughts on, on the basic mechanics of unicorn. Hey. Might as well just throw it in now. What do you, what I do you mean, think? I... Unicorns are a tough one for me because I really do feel like they should have some um, reverence, and they, they've covered that. I cannot, for the life of me, figure out why these are just a CR five creature. So that's that's why I'm really interested to see what you have from other versions because mm-hmm. I, I think there must be a higher CR unicorn from a past edition. That's why this okay. one's such hot garbage. <laughs> it's uh, not not a terribly. Uh, not, that, that being said, yeah. I've never actually used a unicorn in combat, mm-hmm. so I, I can't really speak from experience. But like, it it doesn't. As an enemy, it doesn't really do anything for me. Mm-hmm. As an ally, I think it would be really cool. So good, yeah. Um, but you really got to hope that somebody in your party speaks celestial or elvish, yeah. which right. I guess is probably pretty common elvish anyway. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't I don't think I would use these as a... Um, well, the way it's built definitely seems to put put you in that direction of what you want to be as an ally. If you find yourself in the circumstance of being the enemy of a unicorn, there's so much more to where the unicorn ends up not being the primary enemy at the end of the day. The gods yeah. will be against you or come, certain gods will be coming after you if you bother to harm one of these creatures. Yeah, I really and feel like this other, would be like a, like a talking it out encounter, like, mm-hmm. like a bunch of skill checks and shit. Like definitely. Using it in combat doesn't really do anything mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So older editions of D&D cover a couple different types of unicorns, uh, but mostly only briefly. In second edition, there was a campaign expansion book called Sea of Fallen Stars. It discussed the titular body of water, also known as the Inner Sea, which is the largest inland body of water in Faerun. Right. In the book, there is mention of sea unicorns and are described as rare settings of a hippocampus with a long horn on its forehead. And hippocampus are a real creature, right? Hippocampus, you know, actually, if I remember correctly, that is, those are actually in Greek and Roman mythology, and they are a horse front, oh. but with the fish yeah. back. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, let me rephrase. They're, they're in D&D, aren't they, hippocampus? I think they might be at some point, but I don't, I don't recall coming across one in any of the 5e books, but I'm if, sure they If they're exist. not, they might yeah. be in the Creature Codex or one of the Kobold Press books that I have. Yeah, fair enough. There was also a group of mounted combatants that would ride sea unicorns known as the Lances of the Sea Unicorn. And it was believed that they might have been sea elves. That's cool. Hmm. There was also a type of unicorn in 3.5, uh, yeah, 3.5, known as a Celestial Charger, in which the unicorn itself had seven cleric levels. The fuck? <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is mentioned in the, in the 3.5 Monster Manual. Uh, there was even a black unicorn in 3E. Uh, it was created by the Red Wizards of Fae by infusing oh. unicorns with demon blood. I read about this. I don't know why, but I did. These Red Wizards of Fae are fucking sweet. I did not make notes on them, but I did go down the hole a yeah. little bit. And they everyone might even, should go check that out. They might even be worth their own show at yeah. some point. I think that they've, uh, they were the Red Wizards of Fae. I think Fae was the country they were from uh, in that setting. And they were out to get literally every other leader in country. I think they were the main villains of uh, Gygax's Greyhawk yeah, campaigns. Yeah I, yeah, I believe so, yeah. Um, so they created these black unicorns. They were aplenty in their military, loved combat and violence, and were highly intelligent. I 
sorry i'm just gonna just gonna go back yeah. real quick okay. i think pathfinder and galarian there's a there's a nation called cheliax mm-hmm. i yep. think cheliax is based on Thay. oh really yeah oh that's cool they, they, they have a lot of a lot of parallel themes yeah i don't know pathfinder's uh world lore very much in galarian but i i I've heard Chelyax yeah. mentioned many, many times in, in the Glass Cannon podcast and, and, you know, just really referencing even just in like archetypes of, of classes and stuff. So, yeah. You know, they're uh, big, big presence. Big, big evil. Mm. <laughs> big evil. Um, so these uh, black unicorns, they were capable of being taught common. And some evil wizards were even experimenting with teaching them to cast spells using only verbal components. What? <laughs> Now, this is all third edition. I yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I like yeah, it. I'm, I'm yeah. into it. Uh, they were only a Sierra 3 creature, and they served as unruly mounts with mostly physical attacks, the ability to teleport once a day, and ca- and cast inflict wounds three times a day. Yeah, I want that. Yeah. Um, they would only allow a human or drow females of evil alignment to mount them. They yeah. would not allow anything that's going on. They, they were chaotic evil, of course, and they were considered a large magical beast. No, that's that's awesome. Yeah. More of those. Where, where's the black unicorn in 5e? <laughs> well, that brings us to the cracking of a beer in That's, honor of... Did, did we just get mail? The th- <laughs> we got blackmail. <laughs> that sounds so wrong for some reason. Um, we're going to crack this can to Kwood Publishing. Uh, they are a third-party... Um, uh, uh, pub, 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 publisher of books. And for some um, reason, they're not sponsoring this episode. <laughs> no, they are not. But this is in celebration celebration of them. This is a celebratory Kaywood publishing moment. Um, we've mentioned this book before, Monsters of Feyland. Yeah. This was in our very first episode in Harpies uh, when we discussed sirens. So sirens are in, the, are in this book. They also have a black unicorn. They also have a red unicorn. And they have a green unicorn. All right, get the fuck out of here, Kwood Publishing. <laughs> I'm off that train now. Oh man. Um, so no, for real. Tell tell me about these. No, I, and I, you know, I've, I've the notes have nothing but I have your notes. I have all the mechanics, like or all the all the details uh, written out here. All right, give me give me the cliff notes. So, Black Unicorn, an example of how dark fae are twisted uh, versions of reality. So they are a dark fae creature. I okay. The Black Unicorn is. The opposite of its celestial cousin, black in color, their horn remains white and is toxic. Um, awesome. They sometimes serve as mounts for creatures like evil archfey or anti-paladins. They hunt from the shadows of their enchanted forests with heightened awareness. So uh, Okay, I, I yeah. hope that last sentence is reflected because that, that doesn't mean anything to me right <laughs> now. It, it kind of is. Uh, basically, they've, given, they've got a high stealth and perception, dark vision. Okay. Um, you know, they are CR5 as well. Same hit points, slower speed. Useless. Um, yeah, most of the stats are in the same area. Uh, the, the convex and strength are all a little bit higher. So is the wisdom. Um, they're chaotic evil. They know abyssal, sylvan, and elvish. Immune to necrotic and poison. Uh, immune to charmed, paralyzed, and poison. But it's pretty much the same. They mm-hmm. still have the, for traits they have charged, just like I've written here, cannon corn. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Uh, from here on out, the unicorn, when compared to these, is called the cannon corn, because it's cannon. Uh, they had an innate spellcasting as well. Uh, same thing as cannon corn, except jury craft is replaced with poison spray. Yep, love it. And calm emotions is replaced with silence. We gotta get our hands on this book. These are fucking awesome. Seriously, yeah. These are way better. Uh, the art's actually really cool, too. I love the art style they use in that book as well. It's very playful, but nothing not, not too not too silly. Um, they have magic resistance, magic weapons, same as cannon corn, uh, hooves, 
horns, teleport. Healing touch is replaced with dark touch, which does necrotic damage. Yeah, okay. Um, their yeah, legendary actions are basically the same, except shimmering shield is replaced by dark shroud. An aesthetically different, but same mechanics. Yeah, that, that makes sense, yeah. yeah. And then we have the green unicorn. Yeah, this is what I want. Tell me, tell me about Similar this. Similar to the cannon corn, uh, <laughs> in that it protects enchanted forests. However, they are not celestial in nature, but rather fey. Oh. Legend has it that certain druids chose by, chosen by the gods will be reincarnated as a green unicorn. They will often ally themselves with druids, and a circle of druids allied as such can become quite formidable. A neutral druid may be allowed to mount a green unicorn. Yeah, I'm less, in, less interested now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, more or less the same again. CR four this time it drops a little bit. Stats okay. about the same. Sylvan Elvish Primordial. Um, no mention of telepathy though. Specifically, it was huh. like omitted. Um, so these guys can speak with their mouth, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if that was just a misprint. Yeah. Um, but if they're reincarnated druids, then maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Something I thought really strange about this was that they don't have the the immunity to poison or anything like that. They are like. A, nat- a more natural, nature-based fey version of a unicorn, but they're lacking the, those immunities to poison and disease and sort of thing. And they seem to lack this, like, he- the healing um, property for the most part. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. The, um, they have forest camouflage, giving them advantage to self-catch and forest terrain, uh, innate spellcasting, wisdom being their ability. Okay. Um, they, got cure- they do have cure wounds they can cast, entangle, moonbeam, speak with animals, purify food and drink, spike growth. A lot. This one's got a lot more magic to work with. It's very, very magic forward. Yeah. What is spike growth? I don't know off the top of my head, but I like the sound. Look into that one. That sounds great. (laughs) Uh, It's lacking magic weapons uh, and the charge attack. Um, Doesn't have any horn touch ability at all. So on and so forth. Uh, No legendary actions. Yeah. So much more simple um, and caster forward version of unicorn. Yeah, I, I could I could see myself actually using this one, mm-hmm. just because it's it's not as big of a deal. It's, yeah. it's it's less purposeful, so it's more of like a wild animal. Yeah, you could, could maybe just come across. I'd like um, to use this as like a mount for Green Man. Hmm. I like I really like the idea that that a, a druid would be reincarnated as one of these, like you know, and it might be a promise from a, from an archfey or something like that. I wish they were more powerful as a result, though. Like you're talking like a a badass, like probably really dedicated druid. Um, and they die, maybe I don't know, in battle or of old age or whatever. But I think it would be cool yeah. if they would they were going to reincarnate just a, a much more powerful creature than this. But like, it's so incredibly rare. Yeah, I think that really all depends on how Kay Wood sees the Fey, because mm-hmm. they're even the good Fey are, are shitty tricksters in most right. lore and mythology. Mm-hmm. So it it could just be their end of a bargain because Fey's love to deal. Mm-hmm. Um, which might sound familiar to some of our listeners, but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, phase, phase yeah, love the deal. Yeah, true. so I, I think it would probably just be their end of the bargain or of of a bargain. No. Um, Another small note on those two: they are chaotic neutral, but I love that there was a specific note: they're very wary of good and evil creatures, mm-hmm. very like mistrusting of both. Um, true, truly neutral in in that respect. Yeah, and I mean the the Fey are are that way. They have like evil and good leanings, but they're yeah. they're really out to serve themselves, mm-hmm. which is what true neutrality is in is in most role playing right. games. Right. Yeah. And then we have the red unicorn. Uh, it was corrupted by demons. These creatures also reside in Enchanted Forest. Specifically, target any good hearted creatures that attempt to enter their domain. They will occasionally ally themselves with other evil evil aligned creatures. Their horn is a deadly tool. Used to skewer, burn, and cast dark magic. 
evil wizards and alchemists often seek out the black alicorn of the red unicorn for potions and spells. They are not stealthy like their relatives. Rather, they always make themselves known. They also are unsuitable for riding as their bodies are dangerously hot. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, these ones have a speed of 50 again. It jumps right back up. Yeah, I, I keep... Stats are in the same boat. It's a CR4 again. Um, they are immune to fire. Yeah. They speak Sylvan and Abyssal. That's it. Uh, chaotic evil. But they have... One of the traits is called Heated Body. Any creature that touches or hits with a melee attack within five feet takes 1d10 fire damage. Uh, illumination. It sheds bright light in a radius of 10 feet, dim light in an additional 10 feet. Um, some innate spell casting. They can cast Firebolt from their horn. Darkness, oh, Blink, and Flaming Sphere once a day. I love Blink. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, no horn to such ability, but, you know, they, they they specifically cast the Firebolt from their horn. Yeah, it's that's, like, you know, that's awesome. Very flavorful, but it's lovely. Um, yeah, and those are the Kwood Publishing ones. We should get our hands on a copy of that. I'd love to. Yeah, for sure. That's, yeah. Put it on the list. Um, on the list. I'm sure, I'm sure there's so much more uh, that's awesome in that book. Now we move on to any personal experiences oh, with the wow. unicorn. So as far as I know, we haven't had any listeners write in about this one in particular, but I also don't think I put a shout out out. So. <laughs> yeah, true enough. Um, there, there's that. So if you do have any unicorn experiences and, and cool stories, feel free to write into us at info at encounterthis.ca or tweet at us at encounterpod. Um, we, we absolutely want to hear them because we're, uh, I'm, I'm not like they're, they're cool. And I love unicorns in, in our lore, but I find them to be kind of l- not lacking in D and D lore, but they don't seem to have a real place. Mm-hmm. I, I like, I like the idea of them being guardians of like, like a grove or a steading, like, like mm. we talked about at the top of the show. But beyond that, I don't have any real experience with, mm-hmm. with using them or playing them. Mm-hmm. What do you, what about you, buddy? So, yeah, I used them once, and it was exactly what you said you would probably end up seeing it as is a, is a more of a conversation point in the game rather than any kind of combat, and that's exactly what it was. So, again, talking about my one of my Australian campaigns, I used the unicorn. It was kind of mostly in the background lore, um, but basically in my world, they were once the steeds of angels and deva, and particularly solar. Were devas in your game? There was a solar in my game. Okay. Uh, no one fought him. <laughs> yeah, no, because <laughs> he was way too powerful. Yeah, that's fair. But no one knew who, what or who he was as well. Okay, cool. Yeah, because um, so Davis are fourth edition, aren't they? Oh no, they're they're in the monster manual. Davis, Deva, really? Dave, yeah, there's there's three types of uh, it's a Deva, Planetar, and a Solar. Oh, yeah. Maybe they were a PC race in, yeah. in fourth edition. That's oh, what maybe. I'm thinking of. Um, but basically, they had such a strong magical and celestial bond that if they were ever separated. It was considered uh, it would have a disastrous effect on both of them. The angel would become fallen and live its life on the material plane with all of its power, but none of its memory. Why are these written in point form? I don't know. I just, just do it sometimes. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> it's so weird. It's kind of it's kind of like when I, when I text you multiple times. Okay. Just, no, no, you know? it's, yeah, it, yeah, it works. I mean, it's really easy to read. <laughs> just a full sentence <laughs> um <laughs> uh, and then uh, so the angel would be fallen it would uh, keep all its power lose all its memory the unicorn would lose its purpose as well uh, but prosper as a magical beast described in the master manual uh, but without any divine purpose i like that if anyone were to purposefully separate a bonded angel and unicorn intentionally it was considered barely less evil than outright killing one or the other okay however at some time in the past exactly this happened the last bonded angel and unicorn 
and you know this is the, sort of the background lore of my campaign. The players came across the unicorn in the middle of their journey, and without knowing until the end, started their journey having met the solar once bonded to it. They eventually were faced with the decision of killing the unicorn for its horn or reuniting it with the solar, the latter of which was only vaguely presented to them as an option through visions provided by an accidental time traveler. It was pretty fucking epic. This sounds insane. It was it was a it was a really crazy campaign. Basically that this accidental time traveler and was the uh, apprentice of this powerful wizard who or sorcerer, sorry, who was responsible for separating the solar and the unicorn. I think we need to, like we need to kickstart you publishing a campaign <laughs> book. Like this is awesome. It was it was cool. I was actually I was I, I was looking at my old notes uh, when I started looking at this, and I was like, oh man, I, I missed this fun. <laughs> it was it was a good it was a good time. Um, now, one thing I want to point out was great. Is basically we had the whole, the whole premise of my that campaign was everyone got caught trying to steal a book from a museum that. And we started the campaign with everyone wanting, or everyone had to decide how they got caught and where they heard of the book and what they thought was in the book. And they all had different answers to those three questions. Okay. But they all started in this prison and they had to break. And one player was tasked with getting the group together and convincing them that they were all going to go become a crack team. Because they all came really close, become a crack team to go uh, steal the book again. Once they get out of the prison, he, re- he really reveals to them that he actually watched them all get caught, found the best way to steal it, and had it on his person the whole time. And now they had to go find a way to open it because it was actually sealed. No one knew it. So along the journey, they're going through this forest. They're trying to you know track down uh, Treant, and they're trying to figure out where to go to find this. And they come across this, this unicorn. And the unicorn was... Like kind of clairvoyant, it really like understood and knew them in this really mystical way, and it spoke a lot la- or spoke to them in all of their minds at the same time. The, the problem that I kind of didn't anticipate was the fact that it didn't speak common. Ah, uh. so everyone was like, "What language is it speaking?" And I was like, "It's speaking Elvish." And the only party member that spoke Elvish was this half drow. Um, druid vampire homebrew perfect <laughs> and he refused to tell anyone what it said <laughs> so i wrote all of this stuff all this like deep background stuff and i like said it aloud so all the players got it but the yeah. characters had no fucking clue Just what this unicorn was saying to them. expo dump in german <laughs> because and i i shit you not the character's name was x because he was gonna give it to me um, yep. <laughs> he was, he Sounds was a, about right. He was a really aggressive player. Wanted to challenge me along the whole way, like rules wise and stuff. He really wanted to break the system, but oh. he refused. Yet yeah, he refused to tell anyone what happened. It was like this big waste of time. Almost. That's <laughs> it was so much fun. Side so note: We as a show do not endorse DMX as a person or as a rapper. <laughs> Some of his songs are pretty catchy, but I, I, I got I, I can't endorse a man who Looks literally so sings dude. about hating on on mm. homosexuals. Yeah, forget about it. Forget him. Um. Anyway, uh, that, that that was that was my experience with the unicorn. Uh, I would like to make an honorable mention to the film The Last Unicorn. It was one of my childhood oh, favorites. Oh yeah, that shit's sweet. It terrified me. I watched really? it over and over and over, and I was I remember was always scared of that beast of the dark I, beast. I think that was the last film I owned on VHS. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, which was like like 2008. Yeah. Like I had a sweet VHS collection until the till the late aughts. If anyone listening has not seen The Last Unicorn, it is an incredible American animated film that yeah. is like so different and separate. Um, it's a classic. Yeah. I think it's American Japanese collaboration actually. I have no idea. Uh, yeah, and it's it's beautiful. It's a lovely lovely film. Some of the voices are actors are real top in yeah, 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 real real crazy cast. Um 
And one last thing to mention, I, I came across this just the other day. I'd already finished all the show notes for this. And uh, as you know, James, we are working on running a new Starfinder campaign. I do. I'm, I'm in it. And uh, you are in it. And uh, I... Spend enough on Patreon. We'll, 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 we'll record a live <laughs> oh, play that'd be, podcast. That'd be so much fun. Um, we, or I was researching... Back when we first started looking at Starfighter, like, you know, how long ago was it? Like six months ago or so now? Oh, or yeah. More. Easy. And the, the we played like once or twice. It didn't really come to fruition. But I remember going through the Alien Archive a whole bunch. And reading about the, all the future. And it just popped into my head the other day because now I'm doing research again. I remembered a creature uh, being in one of these books. And it, I think it's Alien Archive 1. And it's called the Arquan de Gazelle. It's a, like a, basically a six-legged, four-horned, and four-eyed giraffe. But they are super cool. Starfinder's fucking crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> crazy. Those, those creatures are stupid and <laughs> Some of them are really I'm dumb. really glad yeah. this is a D&D podcast and not a Starfinder podcast. <laughs> but uh, there was an element of the Arquan Gazelle that I really, really loved. And as, as long as it's on its home planet, it has a tranquility aura. And it makes it forces people to basically be docile around it. Okay. And they are, it's like a, a a weakness of theirs where they are deliberately docile creatures, unless they are removed from their home. And there's actually this. There's a cool, crazy lore in the background where they are like black market animals that are like shipped off world. Oh, and like, cool. They are a tre a, a rare and uh, treasured by like the the evil and the rich kind of thing, right? And uh, they become aggressive, like hyper-aggressive when they're out of that element. They don't have the connection to their planet and stuff. Cool. I, I don't remember all the details, but I really loved it. And it made me think of the unicorn and its domain. I kind of, there was a couple little small homebrew elements in the exposition. Yeah. Uh, that being kind of one of them. Like it, it, The unicorn lore did say it does like, you know, make animals around it docile and something. But I really wanted to like push that farther to, to just people in, in its presence, especially maybe evil aligned people or neutral or something. Yeah. I think that's a really good homebrew. Hmm. Uh, speaking of, speaking of, do you have any homebrews that, that you would do? Like how would, how would you use a unicorn if you were to do it again? I think that, I think that right there is the main one. I, I would yeah. put a, a specific, um, a specific tranquility aura or something like it and, and run the mechanics on that. Cause it does have like, um, it's like, you know, the, the mechanic in Starfinder has like, you know, a wisdom check associated mm -hmm. to it and that sort of thing. Kind of like the sanctuary spell. Two degrees? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, something along those lines. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, and I, I would, be, I would, but I would make it apply no matter where you are in the domain. Like you are, right. you have this like sway uh, that's kind of held over you. Okay. And you, you find yourself docile, um, but I would still, I would still push that this is a, uh, a creature that you're more likely to talk to than than fight. Yeah. Um, may, maybe it becomes a mount or something like that. I, I do kind of like that idea. Um, I was really, f I thought it was really fun to approach. My old players, <laughs> guinea pigs you, going. Yeah, you, so <laughs> we're, we're recording about three feet from my guinea pigs listeners. We, we always do, but apparently they've decided to act up today. <laughs> Adorable little bastards. So cute. <laughs> so squeaky when they want to be. Yeah. No, but I, lo I love um, somehow shoehorning them into like a, a, a choice of like, they knew they had to acquire a unicorn's tear, I think is what I had homebrewed. And the only way to get a unicorn's tear was. Um, they thought through killing it, but the other way was to reunite it with its its old uh, okay. angel, if if it were if it were possible, which they ended up doing. Couldn't just ask it to cry. Uh, no, <laughs> just uh, just a little pinch, just a little pinch. Play Aerosmith, don't want to miss the uh, thing. Oh. <laughs> 
I'm leaving on a jet plane. It's a better one. Yeah, it is. But it's not as sad. I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. I don't I don't understand feelings and emotions, <laughs> listeners. Um, okay, cool. That's why I'm rainbow, rainbows and he's popcorn. That's so true. <laughs> so true. What about you, homebrew? What, what would you change? Fuck, I don't know, man. Um, honestly, I just lean towards not using a unicorn. I would never use it as a mount. Um, I, I think that's probably the biggest one for me is mm-hmm. that I, I hate the idea of things that are supposed to be revered mm-hmm. being ridden. Right. Like okay. I, I would, I would probably buff up the intelligence on this thing and make it like a real, mm-hmm. um, similar to like a sphinx. Yeah. But probably a guardian. I, I, I would lean into the guardian aspect of it. I wouldn't. Um, well, I mean, you know, I'm thinking back on on the notes there, and like you know, unicorns are like mandated to a task by by a god or gods, yeah. right? Yeah, I'd lean heavy it, into that. When it spoke about being a a blessed mount, it said that they would be paired, mm-hmm. not. The unicorns given to, or yeah. anything like that. So I, I, I very much agree. Like you know, if it's revered, it's a beautiful creature. It should not be ridden. But if you look at it in a way that's it's a it's a bonding, it's a pairing. It is a uh, they are companions. Yeah, you know, no, I I, I get it. I just I don't. It's not my thing. Yeah, I'm I'm enough. watching his dark materials right now with my fiance, and then a little girl literally rides a bear, and I'm just I'm not I'm not having it. Not a- <laughs> like it just it doesn't do it for me. Um, I don't think yeah. anything with that much intelligence. Like I understand the necessity mm-hmm. of it, and, but I, I would want to buff up the intelligence, lean into the guardian aspect, mm-hmm. and I think I would want to take make the unicorn like like a mythological creature in my world. Mm-hmm. And I, I would lean into it being an enemy of the lion, but change lion to manticore. So like they're both around that CR four, CR five range. So mm-hmm. maybe maybe unicorns are the divine enemy of manticores. Okay, yeah. And I would take that, and I think I got this idea from WebDM, but I, I don't know for sure. But I always like the idea of creating like a like a group of knights or a knight whose villages were like ransacked by a manticore in this aspect, mm-hmm. and they take up the heraldic device of the unicorn. So they are knights of the unicorn, right. slayers of the manticore. Right. I, I I think that's how I would do it, and mm-hmm. like have the unicorn still be this mythological beast, but the yeah. manticore probably isn't. Or the manticore definitely isn't. There would just be like a like a group of knights called knights of the unicorn or something like that. Would you, would you ever consider giving a ranger companion? Uh, like a ranger, a Shetland unicorn pony. No, but I would consider have like, I, I would definitely consider the idea of the ranger being able to buy a horn to just strap to it like a party hat. <laughs> I'm into that. Oh my God. Did you know that Shetland ponies are really, really uh, useful as uh, guide animals for the blind? No, I like, I don't know nicely. anything about any so, ponies. So much I want I want to I want to I want to play a blind wizard with a Shetland pony, <laughs> okay. Shetland, Shetland <laughs> unicorn guide uh, guide animal. <laughs> yeah, I'm into that. I, I, I can could, make that happen. I could use its uh, horn as a as a catalyst for my I magic. I think you would think it's a unicorn. <laughs> Everyone else would just see like a little pony with a wand taped to its forehead, <laughs> like a pine cone or some shit. Oh, that's perfect. Like that's yeah. I I don't I don't like the idea of unicorns existing. Mm-hmm. I like them as being part of the, the mythos, yeah. or the, the fabric of the world. Sure. Um, but, you know, maybe one or two exist to kicking around. Kind of kind of like how I think dragons are supposed to be used, but they're very often not. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Very rare. So, yeah, I'd want it to be definitely background noise or yeah. just, just okay. part of the tapestry that you, that you don't see weaving I, in the background. I definitely get a feeling from, from them, especially 
teaching you about it that they have that there there's a similarity uh, with the ha some of the hags where we found them in lackluster but you they they work well if you if they're associated with other creatures other elements like it's not just this yeah. creature on its own if you you know uh, it's it's actually it's become a thing uh, with us I mean, this creature, and we, we, you know, it's hard not to look at them as a standalone creature. Yes. Very seldom any creature is standalone. Very seldom are they an in, in you can counter them individually. For I mean, sure, and I think this one specifically is one of those standalone creatures to me, anyway. Mm -hmm. Like sure. when you encounter a unicorn, you encounter just one unicorn. It's they don't have pack tactics. They don't. No, no. They don't have minions, but they have legendary actions to kind of make up for those things. Mm -hmm. And again, it's it's hard to actually say that they're lackluster because again, I I haven't run one in a combat. Sure, yeah. So I don't really know how effective they are against a group of PCs, yeah. but I I just know from my experience that no matter what I throw at you guys, it it can't be, mm -hmm. you know, you're what, 8th level now? I can't throw a single CR8 creature at you. It just, right. it will not, you'll, you'll it, devastate it. It crumbles, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it crumbles quick. I can throw one CR5 creature at you and shit will get super weird. <laughs> um, but like, I cannot throw, yeah. I cannot throw anything within your CR range at you. Mm -hmm. If, if I really want to make a challenging combat, yeah. I have to, it has to be more than that. And pairing something up is definitely the way to do that. And if, I think if I were going to pair a unicorn up, it would be a green unicorn homebrew with, with a green man um, paladin rider and just yeah. give the unicorn the charge and the paladin the lance at the same time. Yeah. So you take double damage. And <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Just, just yeah. really compound that charge aspect of it. I think it'd be really fun to write like a level three one shot based on a group of like evil characters going to hunt down a unicorn first Yeah. Point. That'd be sweet. That would be super fun. Yeah. Well, we're not playing on Sunday. <laughs> oh, well, that's limited time. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me. Uh, I'll get back to you. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's going to do it for us this week, listeners. Um, thanks, as always, for listening. Thanks to uh, Strangefellas for not sponsoring this episode, but we love them anyway. <laughs> Thank you to Kwood Publishing for all your sweet homebrews. Mm -hmm. um, you can hit us up at EncounterPod on Twitter or info at EncounterThis.ca. We have a shiny new website up that's... It's fine. Let's be honest. It's it's fine. It's okay. It's getting there. It's a work in progress. Um, where you can actually find the reading list and, and a blog post and, and links to all of that stuff. Um that is encounterthis.ca. Uh, that, that's for Canadian. Yeah, that'll that'll be your home on the web. And uh, if you like this episode and you want to help us keep doing more of these, because we're we're absolutely having a blast with these, you can support us at encounter at patreon.com backslash encounterthispod. Yes, that yeah, is correct. That's the one. Okay. That's the one. There's a, good, um, there's a reason James does these every time. Is I have no idea. <laughs> I'm doing this one from memory. It's not even in your show notes. So. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. Please, um, any any donations help uh, if if you can afford to. If not, we totally get it, and we just we're we're glad you're along for this this wild fucking ride. Cause Absolutely. Soup's fun. Soup's fun. <laughs> just one horn in our way through this. <laughs> All right. Thanks, narwhals. Thanks, alley corns. <laughs> <laughs>